You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Living Way Church live stream. If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. We're gonna jump right in. Uh, This is another week of shelter in place. And uh, in a lockdown culture, um, there's a lot of fear that's been creeping in as we're looking at a potential at least two more weeks of this and potentially a longer, even as we go through phase one, two, and three of, of reopening, it may or may not be as soon uh, or as expected. So there's a lot of questions of fear creeping, uh, creeping in of what's it going to be like? Will it always be like this? Will things ever be normal? Um, I mean, Will we ever be able to go to sports again? Will we be playing basketball again, volleyball? Will we go to sports events? Will our kids be playing sports again? Uh, will we ever go to concerts? I'm a concert person. I love going to concerts. I love singing and raising my hands and, and joining with the band. I love to get in the crowd. Uh, will we have those days back? Will we, will we have those moments where we get to worship together? Where we get to gather together in this room where there's nobody in here right now, uh, will we be able to fill this room again and and to sing uh, with confidence that that we're not going to get sick? Or will we go back to work without having to wear a mask and interact with friends and have lunch with a friend or a neighbor? Uh, We'll be able to go to conferences, you know, enjoy a conference speaker and special events and training seminars, entertainment. Man, I I love movies. Are we going to be able to go to the movies and and go to crowds and and and, and do rock climbing and bumper cars and uh, and are we going to be able to just to hug each other? Are we going to be able to hug each other again? It's the fear of the unknown and more contagious than COVID nineteen and fear. More contagious is. Hope. Hope is more contagious than all of that. We've been talking about how we don't need to fear because first of all, we don't need to fear. We don't, we do not need to be afraid because we have peace. Uh, We do not need to be afraid. Uh, Second week, because we have hope. Last week, we looked at how we don't have to be afraid because we have Easter. Jesus is alive. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about one more. Uh, We're going to wrap it up next week. Uh, Today, we have another reason to not be afraid. We do not have to be afraid because we have a king. We have a king with anxiety of the extension of of this lockdown, possibly through May and through some of June. And what about the following months? We don't have to be afraid because we have a king who sits on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. That means he's king and ruler and reigns over all. And I want to pick up today where we left off last week with the resurrection. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the resurrection. Jesus spent 40 days meeting people. For 40 days after his resurrection, he met with his disciples. There are 13 accounts mentioned, 11 are described. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't, tune in to Thursday's Facebook Live that I posted on our Living Way page and on my page on Facebook. And and I talk about what happened after Jesus rose from the grave, the 40 days. Then he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait 
for power from on high, and then he ascended into heaven. So I want to talk about where Jesus is right now. To get our hope in this season of mystery, we need to understand where Jesus is right now. And and to understand that better, we're going to go back 2,000 years to take a look at where Jesus is now. Now, before I get into that, I want to tell you a couple of the misconceptions or lies about Jesus. A few biblical false concepts about where Jesus is. For example, the Baha'i faith, which is a a global religious cult and, and religion, they say that Jesus was merely a holy man who died, uh, whose body is still in the grave, but his spirit is in heaven. Uh, the Mormon church believes that, that Jesus was once an angel who became a man uh, who, who is now internally, eternally in heaven, impregnating his wives, populating his own planet. That's where Jesus is now to a Mormon and he is the model of what they hope to be one day and to do one day. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say that Jesus never rose physically from the dead, but only rose spiritually from the dead, whose spirit came back in 1914, who now rules the earth through the Watchtower headquarters in Pittsburgh and in New York. The Muslims, uh, our Muslims friends and families, they believe that Jesus never died at all uh, uh, on the cross, but yet he died a natural death. They believe he was nothing but a uh, a prophet and that his body was possibly switched out on the cross and that he is now in heaven and has been rewarded with perpetual virgins, hundreds of them, and he's, uh, you know, celebrating that in his life as just a prophet. And then the Gnostics and New Age people, they'll, they'll tell us that Jesus moved, uh, lived a full life and moved to France and had children. And um, they'll even say that, that some of his children became the first kings of France. That's Gnostics and New Age. The Jesus Seminar, uh, they will tell us that, that Jesus was not even buried, but that his body was probably torn off the cross and thrown in a ditch and left there. That's what the Jesus Seminar people will try to tell you. Jewish Orthodox um, uh, people, they will tell you that Jesus uh, actually died and is still in the tomb and that the soldiers were paid off by the disciples so that they could steal the body and perpetuate a lie that he was alive. And then there's the wrong tomb theory. Some people say, well, they went to the tomb, and the only reason it was empty because they went to the wrong tomb. Countless cult leaders claim to be Jesus alive today. So there's all kinds of ideas of where Jesus is and what happened to him after his death and where he is now. But let's find out from Jesus himself where he is. This is what he said in John 16, 28. He said, I came from the Father... And entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Jesus said many times he was eternal God from heaven and that he came to be crucified and that he would be buried and that he would rise from the dead because he said he descended and then he ascended. But where is he now? I mean, we, we, we come and we push and promote. We talk about Easter. We know the humble servant Jesus. And we wonder what really happened after that and where did he go? But a lot of times we don't understand who he is now. 
We neglect his current state. And the New Testament speaks a lot about it. I want to read a passage out of Revelation. Now, for some of you, Revelation is a scary book. But let me tell you, Revelation is not about Black Hawk helicopters and barcodes. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. And this is what John uh, was revealed about Jesus. This is what he saw about Jesus uh, he saw his glory. And, and let me tell you something. This, to see the glory of Jesus is not to see Mr. Rogers, uh, but the ultimate warrior. And this is how um, John, the apostle, described Jesus in Revelation. In Revelation 19, 11, he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and true. I love that description of Jesus. Jesus, who's on the white horse, is faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. Man, this is, this is Jesus. This is the description of Jesus that John gives us. And he says, his, Jesus, his eyes are like blazing fire. That means his eyes are piercing you know, if you ever seen somebody, you looked at them, it looks like they're like, like shooting lasers right at you. But with their look, the look of a Jesus is intense. It's piercing. And on his head are many crowns. What that means is that means he's the king of kings of kings of kings. He's not just a king. He holds many crowns for he is the king of kings. And his name, uh, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. I love this description of Jesus, this name on Jesus, because there are things that we will never know about Jesus in the mystery of his divinity, that he is God, his power and his mystery. Uh, verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dripped in or dipped in blood. Now, you know you're tough when blood is an accessory. Uh, his, his clothes, they say, are either dripped in the blood of the lamb, his blood that was shed for us, and many say it's the blood of those that he pours out his wrath on. So we, do, we don't really know there, but we know that on his robe, his white robe, which represents his purity and holiness, there is blood on his robe. And his name is the word of God. This echoes back to John 1 1. Uh, John wrote that as well, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus here. Verse 14 The armies of heaven were following him. Man, that's his posse. All of heaven is his posse. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Again, this represents purity and holiness. They're ready to fight, and they don't plan on getting dirty. You know, you don't show up to a fight wearing white unless you plan on winning. So it represents their holiness, and they're all dressed in white, riding white horses. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations. That means he is a righteous judge, and his words are sharp and final. That's what that means. And he will rule with an iron scepter. That means he is a holy king. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That means that he stomps on his enemies like they were grapes in a winepress. It is no 
struggle, it is not difficult for Jesus to pour out his wrath. It's as easy as stepping on a grape. Verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, this Jesus apparently is tattooed, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus is righteous, he's powerful, he's holy, he's just, and he's coming in judgment for he is the king. He is the Lord of all. And you can pray and you can know that this is not a passive Jesus. This is an active Jesus. This is not a Mr. Rogers only Jesus, a humble servant, but this is also a righteous warrior Jesus. Jesus is today the exalted coming king. You want to know who Jesus is today? We look at the videos and the movies. We watch the movies about the Gospels. That's Jesus before the resurrection. After the resurrection, he is a glorified king who sits on the throne. He is the exalted coming king. Now, a lot of men, a lot of people, they, they find it hard to worship Jesus they find it hard to follow Jesus because they, they'll watch these movies and these images, these pictures and these videos, and they say, why follow a man that, that you think you can beat up? Well, let me tell you something. Most men, sadly, are not inspired by the images of Jesus that we see portrayed. Maybe you need to see the way that Jesus is today. He is the exalted coming king, the ultimate warrior. To know Jesus is to be in awe. To know Jesus, who he is today, is to follow humbly. To understand where Jesus is today, let's walk through what happened after the resurrection. 40 days after the resurrection, and which we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about Acts verses 1 through 8, but I want to pick up right now in Acts 1, verse 9. All right, 40 days after the resurrection, he's just spent the last 40 days meeting with his disciples, talking to them. At one time, he had seen over 500 uh, men at one time, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us. So let's pick it up in Acts 1, 9 to understand who Jesus is today. Let's take a look at what happened after his 40 days on earth. Verse 9, it says, after he said this, and we're going to read what he said next week, and we're going to end the Not Afraid series. He says, he was taken up before their very eyes. He, was, he ascended into heaven, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus said his final words, and he ascended into heaven. Then it says, verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men, uh, they were angels, dressed in white, stood before them, and they said, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back. Turn to somebody or say out loud if you're by yourself, will come back. He's coming back. He's coming back. In the same way you see him go into heaven, he will be coming back. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, is that Jesus physically ascended into heaven. He is physically alive today. He didn't spiritually come out of the grave. He physically came out of the grave with his spirit intact in his physical body. He is a 
a, a picture of what is to come for the redeemed. Those who are born again will also be resurrected into a physical body one day with our spirit intact with our body. See, God created Adam a physical being and breathed life into that physical being. God designed us human beings to have a body. But Adam blew it. And Adam and Eve, they brought a cycle of sin, death, and decay to our body. Jesus' death on the cross not only redeemed our spirit, but he redeemed our body. That's the resurrection, his glorified body. And he ascended into heaven in a physical body. And he sits on the throne, the Bible says, as the son of man in a human body, glorified and one day coming back. Let's look at Ephesians 4.8. Because I wanted to write this down. Jesus took people with him into heaven. When he ascended into heaven, he didn't go alone. Ephesians 4a says, when he ascended into, uh, on high, he led captives in his train. And he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? That's the place of Hades called the grave. It wasn't hell. It was the place where the dead abide. And we see this echoed on the cross where he told the, the thief on the cross, today I'll see you in paradise. That's a place in Hades. Uh, and so he said, I'll see you there, the place where the dead abide. Um, verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Hebrews tells a similar uh, phrase, and this is this, Jesus did not technically ascend into heaven alone, he basically hung an open for business sign on the gates of heaven. He led a grand opening to heaven. Those that followed God, Yahweh, the Lord God in the Old Testament, the Bible says he set those captives free from Sheol, from paradise, and he led them into heaven. He opened up heaven for business before the resurrection, all they could be was, uh, the best they could be was in a place of Sheol called paradise, but that was not heaven. Heaven was closed until the cross made a way. So Jesus took people with him into heaven when he ascended. And I find that interesting because now, those of you that are Christians, we now, uh, if we die, we go to heaven. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So where is he today? That's what happened after the ascension. He ascended into heaven. He, he put an open for business sign on the gates of heaven, and he, he led a grand opening of eternity into the kingdom of heaven. But where is he now? What is he doing now? I want you to write this down. Number one is that right now, Jesus is seated on the throne. He's seated on the throne of heaven. Now, these are words used over 196 times in the Bible. 61 times the throne of God is mentioned in the New Testament. 45 times alone in the book of Revelation. 45 times in Revelation, 61 in the New Testament, and 196 total in the Bible. Isaiah and Revelation declares that there is one throne in heaven that there is only one who sits on the throne in heaven. In Revelation uh, 4, 5, 7, and 20, John, who's revealed a glimpse of heaven, tells us who is on the throne. And the one who sits on the throne is the Lamb of God. 
the one throne in heaven, he who sits on it is the Lamb of God. Jesus is exalted and alone on the throne. Now that poses a question about passages in the Bible that refer to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, it's important to understand that the Bible makes it very clear that there is one throne in heaven. So what does it mean when Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father? Let me read a verse, for example. Uh, Hebrews 1.3 says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, that's God the Father, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. See, the Bible tells us that God the Father is invisible. And that no one has seen him and no one can see him except for Jesus who is from the very bosom of the Father. That's what John says in John 1. See, the invisible became visible and then he ascended into heaven visibly for the rest of eternity and now he sits on the throne. The invisible became visible. That's Jesus. It says, and he upholds all things by the word of his power and he has made purification of sins, all talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, this says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But if there's only one throne, what does this mean? Here's another example, Matthew 26, 63. Uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in this one. He says, the high priest uh, talked to Jesus and he says, I charge you unto oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Christ the Son of God. Now, he's not asking Jesus if he is an offspring of God. He's asking Jesus, are you God in the flesh? Because that's what the word son means. It's, it's a word that represents flesh of God. Are you truly the flesh of God, the earthly manifestation of God. They said, tell us straight up, are you God in the flesh? And this is what Jesus said. He said, yes, it is as you say. Jesus straight up said, yes, I am God in the flesh. And he says this, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. That means coming in judgment. That's what that means. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why would they think it blasphemy to say that he's seated at the right hand of majesty? That is because... Jesus sitting at the right hand of majesty is a common figure of speech that represents all the power and authority of God. The Bible says over and over again, there is one throne and he who sits on the throne is the lamb of God. So what does it mean when Jesus sits at the right hand of the majesty of God? That means all of the power and authority of this invisible father that no one has seen, but Jesus, who is the, the body of God in the flesh, Colossians 1 and 2, he is the very image of the invisible God, the Bible tells us. He sits on the throne in full power and authority. That's what the right hand means. The right hand of God is often used in the Old Testament as a prophetic word for the Messiah. 
because it represents all power and authority. So Jesus is right now upon the throne of heaven with all power and all authority. He is the invisible God made visible for all of eternity. And in the middle of all of this chaos that we're experiencing, you do not have to be afraid because Jesus is on the throne. He is king. The problem is we put ourselves on the throne. We like to put ourselves on the throne of our life and, and try to rule our own life. We try to take the situation that we're in right now and, 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 and put our own twist on it and take our own life into control. Listen, we make terrible kings and we make terrible rulers of our own life. Jesus is king. He's on the throne, not you. Get off the throne and let him be who he says he is in your life. Here's the next thing I want you to do this is write this down. Is that right now Jesus rules and reigns as sovereign, as sovereign king and Lord. I want to let you know that this is a not a, a future event. A lot of people say that Jesus is coming back and would be made king and that Jesus will become king and that one day Jesus will be king of heaven and of earth and that Jesus isn't really king right now, but one day he will be king. Listen, the Bible says he's king now. He's king now. Here's a few passages. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty seven 27. It says, all things have been committed to me by my father. That's what Jesus said. All things are mine. It's all mine. John 3, 35 says, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. All things, everything. This is not a future event. This is a now reality. He rules and reigns. Jesus is boss. Jesus is Lord. He's not going to be king. He is king. He's not going to set up a rule. He is ruling now, as opposed to who think the devil is in charge. Ephesians 1.22 says, God the Father placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This is a current event. Jesus rules over all people. He rules over all governments. He rules over all nations. And he rules over all circumstances. And he rules over this pandemic. He rules over our economy, regardless of where you fall and whether this is a real or not pandemic. If you believe a conspiracy or not, listen, Jesus is Lord of it all. That is why the early church was martyred. The Roman culture pursued and tracked down and killed Christians, not because they believed in Jesus, but because they believed Jesus was ruler of all. See, the Roman culture had no problems with, with you following a different God as long as you acknowledged many gods and bowed to Pharaoh. But Christians said, no, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, not Pharaoh, the emperor, Caesar is not king. The Lord God is king. Jesus is not just God for Christians. He's not just king for Christians. He is king of all creation. Whether they acknowledge him or not, he is king. Acts 10.36 says this, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord, present tense now, of all. Jesus is Lord of all. I want to read a longer passage in Colossians 1. Powerful passage. 
that Jesus is Lord. I want you to take a look at this in Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Remember, the Father God is invisible. The invisible became visible. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The invisible walked into humanity. Jesus, the Word, became flesh. The invisible God became visible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. That, that is not a, a title of order. This is an a, a issue of position, not timing. That means he's exclusively the first. That means he's first among in, in position above all creation. He, that, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses will spin that around and say that Jesus was the first one born. And even Mormons will say something similar, that Jesus is one of the first ones born. And they'll point to this passage that has nothing to do with timing. This is all about position. This is about supremacy, that he is first among those born, first among all creation, meaning over all creation. As the next verse says, says over all creation, the galaxy, the universe, all. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, by the way, a lot of people will say, well, that's because God created Jesus first, and then Jesus created all things after that. That's not what the Bible says. It says that Jesus created all things. So if Jesus was a creation, this verse is false. Jesus was not the first creation, and then God used him as like his helper. No, Jesus is God and Jesus created all things. It says, for by him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created, all things were created by him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn, again, an order of position, supremacy, not an order of timing. He is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. See, that's the, we don't have a small Jesus. Everything is the Lord's. Jesus is Lord of all now. His hands are not tied. You can't limit or hold him back. He is king. He is sovereign. He is Lord. We don't dictate Jesus' actions on the earth. The verses over and over, he is Lord of all, in charge of all. His earthly life was our example, but his glorified life is an object of our worship, all right? So third thing I want you to write down, where is Jesus right now? Well, right now, Jesus is our mediator. He's our mediator with the invisible Father. He's a mediator with our Father. He is alive. Listen, Jesus hears our prayers. He moves at his will, in response to prayers, he answers and he responds. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God, became flesh and now sits on the throne as the Son of Man. 
And as the visible representation of the invisible, we now have someone we can focus our prayer to the Father to. Jesus is that mediator. Not a person, not a church, not a priest, not a saint, not Mary herself. The Father only hears us through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is both exclusive and inclusive. He is exclusive in that he says he is the only way. There is no other way but me, he says. There are no other options, which is a problem for many. You don't like that Jesus is the only way. He did this for our benefit, so we wouldn't be running around like a bunch of chickens with our heads cut off trying to figure out how to connect with God. Is it this religion? Is it this way? Is it this way? Is it this way? Because they all seem to contradict themselves. Jesus said, no, I am the way. It's very exclusive. I am the only way. But it's also very inclusive because Jesus says, I am the only way. But I'm also saying, come all of you. Come any of you, any race, any gender, those that are lonely, those that have many friends, those that are poor, those that are rich, those that are sinners, those that see yourself as someone who's lived a good life, the sexually confused, the addict, the abuser, the murderer. Jesus says, come all, come everybody. It's inclusive to come to the cross, but it's exclusive in that it's only through him. That's also a problem for many. Because many of you don't want to believe that Jesus is for anybody and everybody. But as king, he calls all of us, those that will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to come. Write this down. Here's the next one. Right now, Jesus has seated us, his disciples, if you are a disciple, in authority with him. Now, this is a really cool verse that I'm about to share with you, but I want you to realize what this, is, this means. Because Jesus is on the throne, his disciples are seated in authority with him. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 to the church of Ephesus. Verse 6, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, this is a present event and a future event. We are currently right now seated with him in heavenly places in the authority of Jesus. But there will be a coming day where we will receive all the benefits of that position in Christ Jesus. See, here's what it means. Practically, we are seated here, but positionally, we are seated with him. What does that mean for us who follow Jesus? That means that we represent Jesus in full authority on this planet and that we have at our Uh, access through that relationship with God, access to the power and authority of Jesus to live a, a life of holiness before the Lord and with boldness to tell the world. You see, as one who is a disciple, if you are a disciple, you don't have to be afraid because right now you are seated in position with the authority of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid of any demon 
You don't have to be afraid of any spirit. You don't have to be afraid of, of those nightmares and those dreams and those strongholds and those addictions and those thoughts. You don't have to be afraid because you are seated in position in the authority of Jesus now. Right now, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I'm not afraid of what might came my way. I'm not afraid of what news I might receive. I'm not afraid because I'm seated in position in authority with Jesus. Here's the next thing. I want you to write this down. What's happening right now with Jesus is that right now, Jesus takes Christians to heaven upon their death. As I said earlier, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't go alone. He, he led a welcome party, a grand opening, now open party to heaven. The kingdom of God is now open to those that are his. And if you are a child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you can have full assurance you don't have to be afraid because right now, if you are a Christian and you were to pass away, heaven is your home. And all Christians go to heaven upon their death right now. Colossians 2.5 says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. John 14, 2, I love this one of my favorite passages that Jesus spoke of uh, to his disciples. He was saying that he was about to leave them and that his time in ministry was coming to an end and that the cross was coming soon and, and that everything was going to change at that moment. And they began to be uh, worried and fearful. They didn't want to lose Jesus. They just spent, you know, three or so years of their life walking with Jesus, seeing the miracles of God, walking the earth, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding thousands of people miraculously, and, and, and seeing those that were blind and their eyes open, those that couldn't speak begin to speak, and those with deaf ears begin to hear, those that had leprosy and sickness healed and made whole, the sinner forgiven, their lives were changed, and they were ready to give their life for Jesus but Jesus said, I'm leaving. And it's important that I leave so that you could take what I'm giving you and tell the world. And that's why he said, the things that you're going to do are going to be greater than what I've done. See, Jesus amassed a following of thousands. He says, but what you're going to do is through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see people follow me in the millions. But I love this passage when he talks to them in John. He says, in my father's house, there's many rooms. Talking about the kingdom of heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, man, I'm telling you the truth. This isn't the final destination. There's a, there's a home uh, in the father's house. And he says, I'm going there. I love this verse. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. And that's when they ask Jesus, how, what is the way to get there? And that's when Jesus said in that same chapter, just verses later, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. You'll never know that many rooms a dwelling place with me unless you come to me. He is today 
I love this, preparing a place for those that are his. You know what? If you're alive today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is preparing a place for you. There's a place for you. Some translations say a mansion, but really the literal there is a dwelling place. We don't know if it's a mansion or, if, you know, the, it, it brings up false images of like a big house and swimming pool and, and, and all that kind of thing. We don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be amazing because Jesus, the chief architect, is preparing a place for his kids to move in. Are you his? Are you his? Do you have that confidence that if you were to die right now, that you would go to that place that he is preparing? With death all around us, you know, this last week we, we saw astronomical numbers of people passing away from COVID-19. It was truly a, a catastrophic week. And maybe some of you have eased into this normal self-distancing life and you're not reading the news, but this last week was devastating. On some days there were 3,000 uh, uh, deaths in the United States alone. In New York City, there were some of 1,000 to 1,500 a day. And every day this week, it was at least two to 3,000. One day, there was nearly 4,000. And, and it, was a, uh, it was a devastating week. But those in Christ, they had a place prepared for them all along. He is returning, he says. I'm preparing a place and I'm coming back. He's coming back for his kids. He's coming back to take us home. But until then, I want you to write this down. This is the last one. Until then, right now, he has given his disciples a mission. This is going to be the focus of what I'm going to talk about next week, that God has given us a mission. There's a reason why we are here today, while we are alive there's a purpose for your life. And next week, I want to talk to you about what that means according to Jesus and that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then God has a mission for you. And if you're not a follower, Jesus has a plan for you. So next week, I want you to tune in live, share this video today, and I want to pray with you right now. And I want to ask you, where is Jesus in your life today? Right now, he is on the throne. He is king. He is sovereign of all. And he is, if you are a follower of Christ, he is with you through the Holy Spirit. And if you are his disciple, he has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. In Jesus, you are not an orphan. You are not alone. You are his child, his son, and his daughter. And he sits on the throne. But I've got to ask you something. Who sits on the throne of your life? As I said earlier, whether you acknowledge it or not, he is king of all. See, when we become a, a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't make him king. He's already king. What we do is we acknowledge his kingship. We acknowledge his lordship. We humbly acknowledge our need to know the king. And we bow to that authority. We are humbled by that authority. Do you attempt to rule your own life, not realizing that there is a king? And when you are in rebellion to the king, you receive the wrath or the justice of the king when you refuse to honor the king. But listen, when you bow to the king, he's a good king. He's a good king. 
He's a good Lord. He's a good God. And when you bow to his authority, you reap the blessings and the benefits of the kingdom in which he rules. He who sits on the throne of all creation is calling you to surrender to his authority. You do not make him king. He already is. Will you enjoy the benefits of the king and his kingdom? You see, there is one who's a lying king. He's not really a king of anything. And the Bible says that there is a deceiver. The Bible calls him Satan, the devil, the great deceiver, uh, the, the accuser of the brethren. There's different names for him. I tell you, he is not king. He is not the God of this planet or world. When, when, the, when the apostles used that phrase, it was in sarcasm. It wasn't a definitive, you know, the devil is the God of this world. No, Jesus is God and Lord of all. He will try to deceive you and either cause you to bow to his authority or to live under your own authority. But I want to pray with you today. Maybe you're here today and you need to bow to the king. You need to acknowledge his kingship, his lordship, his authority, and reap the benefits of that kingdom. And one of those benefits is peace and hope. We don't have to be afraid because the king is on the throne. And I'm a part of that kingdom. And so I know I'm going to be just fine. That's the peace of God. So let me pray for you right now. If you're watching right now, will you pray this prayer with me? And uh, use your own words, but I'm going to lead you in a relationship with Jesus Christ as king. So right now, just bow your head and let's pray. Uh, Using your own words, will you say, Jesus, here's my life. I turn from myself and I turn to you. In your own words, just say it any way you like. God, I turn to you. I'm humbled by your authority. And I bow before you as king. Forgive me of my sins through the cross. Thank you, God, that you are alive. You're risen from the dead. And I can know you. You are on the throne. In your own words, just say, God, here's my life. I give you all that I am. Show me how to walk with you, King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.